Ahoy, and welcome to the Open Journal Blogcast. Here we're going to be talking about mental health and all things related. That includes illness, wellness, stigma and support, and most importantly some of your very own personal stories. We're going to be covering projects, campaigns, education, starting conversations, and looking at some of the tools that support our well-being as well. I'm Mike, and while I'm being mindfully mindless, hopefully myself and my amazing guests will be able to show you you're not alone out there. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so Mm. they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds, and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, Mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, And then they want to talk about it. Ahoy and welcome to the podcast and to episode 219. I hope you're well out there. hope things are going good for you at the moment. hope you enjoyed last week and whatever you were doing as part of Mental Health Awareness Week. It was really nice, I think, for so many conversations to be seen and kind of aired and shared, I think is, is, is really, really good. Um, we just had last week's episode where we focused in on some of the stuff around Mental Health Awareness Week and the importance of nature being the focus this year. Um... But yeah, I hope I hope you were able to engage in whatever way felt uh, appropriate with some of those conversations. I think it was really great to see um, certain campaigns and certain projects and services being promoted and discussed as well, which was really good. So yeah, I hope I hope your your mental health awareness weeks were were really good. And for this week's episode, I'm delighted to say we have a new guest with us. Dr. Gretchen is going to be joining us today. We're going to be talking a little bit about her experience, um, physical therapy, kind of the journey through to delivering that service. Also, um, the support that Dr. Gretchen has and her specialism in MS as well. I really enjoyed kind of the, 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 the variations, I guess, in our conversation when we're talking about physical therapy from the need for it if it's supporting someone's um, experience with certain symptoms or illnesses but also the importance of it in kind of everyone's day-to-day life um, whether you're experiencing some of those symptoms or illnesses or not um, and I think we, we, we loosely touch on this but the idea that actually over the last year a lot of us and I'm definitely talking about me in this case um probably just generally not moving as much as we were before definitely the intensity of some of those exercises as well has dropped um so i think kind of the idea of physical therapy is a really important one to discuss as to how it supports everyone's well-being and we obviously touch in as well as i've mentioned on 
from some of Dr. Gretchen's um, real expertise and specialism there as well. So huge thank you to her for coming on, for sharing her insights and experiences and being part of this episode. As always, I really hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy listening into our conversation. And if you would like to be a guest in the future, you can find information on the website, which is openjournalbc.com. But for now, I hope you enjoy this episode and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Hi Gretchen, it's lovely to sit down and, and be able to have a conversation with you today. Um, what's what's kind of the last few days, what's the last week been like for you? I think it's always quite nice to kind of hear just how things are going for, for people when they come on the podcast. Absolutely, yeah, it's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. It's been good. We celebrated Mother's Day just a few days ago, and I have a twin sister who is a brand new mom. Her baby is six months old, so it was really cool being able to celebrate her as well as our mom. So that was a nice, relaxing day, and otherwise it was pretty busy, so it was nice to have that weekend to just slow things down a bit. Oh, that's really nice. I've seen a few pictures um, online this, uh, well, I guess this year now, really, with people celebrating kind of first um, like holidays with newborns and stuff. And it feels, I, I guess it just feels really different because of everything that has been the last year of um, not having those opportunities to sort of kind of missed whole pregnancies in the last year. Yes, yes. So many different ways, you know, communication has been mostly through FaceTime or Skype. Mm. So you can still see each other virtually, but it's not the same as being in person. No, I I'm, I think we, we had a period last year where we could kind of meet people outside. And I remember, I think at that time, one of my friends mentioned that his I think he and his wife had just gotten pregnant and I think they've they've recently just had their their baby and it just feels so weird because it's like you just yeah you you just kind of skipped a whole big section of their life um which just seems so strange but it must be happening for so many people so it's really nice that you've kind of been able to connect and keep in contact um in, in different ways Yes, yeah, it's nice to feel like we didn't lose touch completely, mm. but we're able to maneuver around it. Yeah, if it's a lot of, like you said, it's it's finding different ways and keeping in contact. And I read something this morning, actually, that said about relationships will have changed and how you communicate with people will have changed. And now, hopefully, we're working towards being able to get back to in person. They will probably change again and kind of just recognizing that and I guess being kind to ourselves and to to the people we're we're in relationships with that that's it's going to be difficult some of it's going to be really nice because you're going to get to kind of catch up and meet up but some of those relationships will change I guess over the last year well it's funny because one of my friends recently got engaged to a guy that she met during the pandemic oh, so wow. None of us have even met him yet. So we're coming out of this <laughs> pandemic to a whole new version of her and a whole new part of her life. So it's really funny to see, you know, for some people how much growth they had over this last year, but it wasn't visible to people because we weren't around each other. So it'll be cool seeing seeing people and, and just catching up on the past year. 
Does it? Yeah, it's it's amazing. It makes me smile. It just ah, oh. I'm I'm hopeful for all of those like exciting conversations and catch ups and things that are hopefully going to happen kind of later on this year. Yeah. Um. Too. So we're sitting down today, obviously, to talk about a, a, a few different things. I guess we're going to roll into, but really about kind of the 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 role that physical therapy, that different types of therapy um have on on our health and and a few kind of linked things as well but I guess to start off with Gretchen can you kind of introduce yourself tell us a little bit about yourself and what's kind of led us to being sat down and discussing stuff today Absolutely. So my name is Gretchen Holly. I am a doctor of physical therapy and a multiple sclerosis specialist. And one thing that I learned very early on as an MS specialist is how different MS is for each person. And it's nicknamed the snowflake disease for a reason. There's no two people who have multiple sclerosis where they have the same symptoms. And even one person can have vastly different symptoms even in one day, let alone over the span of one week or a month or even a year. So I learned that really early on and I think the reason that I am drawn to working with people who have MS is because I love brainstorming. That just brings me so much excitement and almost makes me giddy in a way because a lot of my clients who have MS have goals of improving specific things throughout their day that overall improve their quality of life. Mm -hmm. So it might be something related to mobility or walking or strengthening, getting stronger so they can stand up easier from a bench or stand up off the toilet easier or maybe it's climbing stairs easier and and basically it all boils down to improving quality of life through typical day-to-day movements that may have been getting a little bit too challenging because of weakness or balance instability um you know tightness in the muscles there's so many things that can allow you to to lose some of that independence Yet there's so many exercises that you can do to start improving them. So I just find it really fascinating and it's my passion to be able to share some of those things with people who have MS and their caregivers because some of the strategies are so simple and you can do them at home right right now, right away, and it can help you realize, oh, okay, I can get stronger and this is why. Or, oh, that's a movement I can do. I didn't know I could do it that way. So it's really cool to see my clients have these light bulb moments where they feel like they're able to gain this independence back. That's really interesting to hear because even just those few examples, there's so many thoughts in my mind of kind of how that impacts on someone's mental health, kind of regardless of any um, kind of illness or diagnosis, just the impact, like you say, of being able to have greater mobility of the independence that can come and go with that. And um, then even thinking kind of of the carers or the people that that are are around them and supporting them potentially in different ways. There's kind of a number of people that are going to be impacted by that um, potential journey that's there. Absolutely. And another thing, too, is having the confidence as well as 
the awareness that people with MS, whether it's the person with MS or a caregiver or a friend or family member, knowing that you actually can get stronger and improve your mobility and improve your balance, even though MS is a progressive disease. A lot of people assume that because it's a progressive disease, they can't get stronger or they can't improve their mobility. But based on neuroplasticity, it actually truly is possible. But a lot of people don't understand that. So one thing that I like to educate on is what neuroplasticity is and how it works, because if you fully believe you can't get better, you can't improve your strength or mobility or balance or flexibility, then what's the point? A lot of people just kind of give up. But if you know what it is, you're able to you know, go wholeheartedly into your exercises and really put your best effort forward when it comes to reaching your goals. Do you think kind of in any way that... Um... I guess MS being another kind of health condition where uh, I don't know if this is different in the US but I'd say in the UK where potentially people just aren't really I don't want to say aware that's probably wrong aren't educated um, on what MS is on how it affects people um, and so often kind of the first time you're having these discussions or any kind of thought about it is when someone is starting to struggle or is diagnosed um, and I kind of prompts in my mind because I think we have similar situations with other illnesses where they're, they're just not approached because it's not the most common thing um, that people aren't educated on that until that moment of um, kind of concern potential crisis or diagnosis if that makes sense. It does make sense and I think that's accurate also in part due to the fact that so much can go wrong when you have MS. There can be so many symptoms that it's really hard to actually hear the things that you're told during sessions that you meet with any of your healthcare providers, whether it's a neurologist, a, a physiotherapist, whoever. There's just a lot of education that's happening, hopefully, mm -hmm. uh, that it's hard to really hear everything because you might be grasping on to the things that mean most to you right now. And then the other stuff just kind of goes in one ear and out the other, which is okay. Our brains can't learn everything all at once, but I think you're right in that even if you are educated about all of these important things, we don't grasp them the first time around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's, it's really difficult because it's a hard one when, I think there are lots of different conversations I've had with people that are affected by um, different illnesses or symptoms and um, I kind of often come away, especially when you've heard a personal story, thinking, why don't we know this? Why aren't we educated on this? But as you say, I guess that there is a limit as to how much information we can kind of say, this is all essential um, and kind of enforce that. I think it's those, as you kind of touched on there, that those early conversations those first conversations that are happening with people potentially in that moment of um being affected by certain symptoms or receiving a diagnosis um i've started to hear more people talking about the importance of those one or two people that are around them as a support network because you can't take on board all of this information and guidance as to how to treat or 
manage your own symptoms at the same time as you're discovering and struggling with it so having that support circle I imagine is 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 quite important in this situation I absolutely agree. I always love when my clients come to see me with at least one support person, whether it's a spouse or a family member or a friend. And oftentimes they're sitting down during our session just writing notes, whether it's what I'm educating on or the exercises that we're doing. And I think it's also really important to note that research, specifically with MS, is changing pretty rapidly. I have been a specialist in multiple sclerosis for just over five years, which in my opinion, it's a long time in the sense that I have treated a lot of people with MS and been able to help Mm. them. But in the grand scheme of things, five years is not that long. And just five years ago, there were still neurologists that had the mindset that exercise should not be done. And even just 10 years ago, if someone was diagnosed with MS, they were definitely not told to go to physiotherapy because the the thought back then was that it would make you worse. It would cause heat intolerance. It would cause you to have more fatigue. So definitely don't go to exercise and don't don't go to physiotherapy and that was just as short as seven to ten years ago so now about four years ago is when the the theory of neuroplasticity really blossomed and it's very clear and evidenced in research that when you have ms you should absolutely exercise right away and go to physio to get an evaluation so just in that in that short time frame new research is being published that is contradicting thoughts from not that long ago mm, that's really interesting to see like you say kind of the, the different versions of, of what time is and mm-hmm. especially this year time is, is quite a, a discussion as to what that looks like um but yeah five years doesn't isn't long is it in the shape of, of many things and it's, to think of quite how much that's changed in that time mm-hmm. and keeping in mind too unless you someone is newly diagnosed with ms that my clients typically before they come see me they typically have had ms for several years mm. so unless someone is newly diagnosed they likely have had ms anywhere between five to 30 years before getting physical therapy. And one reason for that is, again, because when they were diagnosed 20 years ago or Mm -hmm. even 10 years ago, they were not told to exercise. They may have even been told, stay in bed, don't exercise. That's going to make you worse. So depending on when you were diagnosed, this this information now of you can exercise and it actually can help you it can rewire your brain is just completely new and it contradicts what they were told when they were first diagnosed yeah i can't i mean that i feel like there must be other situations where that's true but i just can't think of something that has quite changed so dramatically in the advice that you would be given in that sort of time frame like you say to think of someone that's been receiving treatment uh, in whatever way for a period of time has probably come through with that information if you've got a um I guess a professional practitioner that's supporting you that isn't up to date there's a possibility maybe uh, I'd like to think within five years they would but maybe within the first couple of years again if they're not up to date on on what the newest advice is 
um, it's different sorts of service that people might get. Absolutely. And even not specifically with MS, but when I was in PT school, so this was about anywhere between seven and 10 years ago as a three-year graduate program, I remember learning about ultrasound and electrical stimulation, and our teachers were telling us that they used to do ultrasound and electrical stimulation with every client for pain relief. But even when they were teaching us, they were telling us that research now shows that it's actually not that effective. It is for some people, but definitely not everyone. Yet when they learned it, every person who came to physiotherapy, they would start the session with heat to warm up. They'd end with ice and electrical stimulation or ultrasound. It was just part of every person's physio session. And when they were teaching us, they were saying, you know, this isn't as effective anymore. There's more research on this. And now they're seeing that it's not as effective. So uh, that's just for pain relief in general, not, not specifically MS. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to, it's, it's not something I know loads about. So it's really interesting to hear even some of that older information, really. Mm -hmm. um, but you mentioned that kind of your, your, your training and kind of getting into the profession where did your where did your journey start um and were there kind of certain points where you you really kind of decided actually this is the focus that I want to have yeah so starting way way back I did not know that I wanted to be a physical therapist. I knew that I wanted to work with people, but I also knew that I liked science. And usually if you like science, that means you're going to be working in a lab or something where you're not directly working with people because I didn't want to be a teacher, but I also didn't want to work in a lab. And so because of that, I actually went to a, an event that my undergraduate university held where it was people who graduated from the science program and they just came and they told us what they were doing with their degree and the very first person who spoke said that she was a physical therapist and for some reason as soon as she said that a light bulb went off in my head and I was like that's what I want to do I had no idea I could be a physiotherapist with a biology degree but that sounds like so much fun so immediately I, this was in my last year of, of university, so usually that might be a little bit too late to make sure you have all the prerequisites to go into graduate school, but fortunately, a lot of the science programs and classes were the same classes that you needed for physiotherapy school. So I had all of them. I went to PT school, absolutely loved it. When I graduated, my job had a sister program, sister company in a different state, and they had an MS program. And it was wildly successful because MS was pretty popular in the area where I was living. And our boss asked if anyone had any interest in opening an MS program where we worked in, in our state. And we do not learn much about multiple sclerosis in physiotherapy school, but we learned a little bit and enough where I knew it was a neurological and autoimmune disease. And so it intrigued me. And I raised my hand and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll run this program. And as I mentioned earlier, 
right away. My first two clients were just so vastly different and I could tell that it was not the same as treating someone with an orthopedic issue, whether that be back pain, hip pain, knee pain. And so it was at that time that I decided I didn't just want to be a physical therapist that worked with people who had MS, but I really needed to be an MS specialist because the symptoms that someone with MS goes through is just vastly different than an orthopedic, typical outpatient client. And so that's when I decided to become an MS specialist. And when I learned how each person needed a different brainstorming session of exercises each time I saw them. So it was pretty early on when I went into learning more about MS that I just fell in love with it. And now I've been treating MS alone, only MS, for about the last five years. And most recently, I developed an online program for people with MS because having a physio that's specifically trained as an MS specialist is extremely rare. And the treatments, as I mentioned, are so vastly different that I was having clients drive one to two hours just to see me. And that meant that they also had to cancel a lot because of weather or transportation or just having a high fatigue day. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be able to have an option where they could still get these resources, the exercises, the symptom management strategies in their own home via an online program. So that's my most recent endeavor that started about two and a half years ago. It's really interesting kind of hearing hearing that journey and kind of the the steps and particularly at the end there when you're starting to talk about kind of the virtual side and I think I was kind of waiting for that to line up with the last year but the last year actually kind of has isn't in relation to that at all actually you were doing kind of moving towards that online virtual delivery that virtual service and support Mm -hmm. already before this year um So it feels like a strange, I just had in my mind that that's probably going to be the prompt. So it's really interesting to hear that you kind of were already moving in that direction for actually really specific reasons in relation to the the people that you're supporting. Um, I, I, I'm kind of left wondering now, kind of what has the last year been like in terms of supporting people? Did you feel like you're actually much further ahead in terms of kind of having a support system that people can access um, and that kind of that bank of, of tools to to support people in a virtual way. Absolutely. And yeah, it's funny because about two and a half years ago, I was the physical therapist at our clinic who had the highest no-show and cancellation rate. And nine times out of 10, the people that were canceling and no-showing were my clients with MS. And I remember telling my boss that, you know, the reason they're canceling is because of X, Y, and Z. And that's a very valid reason because of their MS. Can Mm -hmm. I call them? Or can we have a virtual session? Can I do something so that I can still treat them even though they're home? And at the time, even though that was only two and a half years ago, it was unheard of. The answer immediately was, nope insurance won't cover that or nope, that's not going to be doable. And so that's when my brain started thinking, okay, there's got to be a way to help these people. And then in the last year, it's just blossomed so much more because since it's virtual, 
I can help anyone as long as you have the internet. So my program now, I think we're in about nine different countries all over the U.S. and Canada um, and the U.K. as well. And it's been so powerful because I had so many people reach out to me about a year ago when the pandemic first happened, basically saying either I was going to physio and I don't want to lose all the ground that I've made. Can you help me? Or I don't want to get worse. I haven't been exercising. Can you help me? I, I don't, I want to at least maintain where I'm at. And so in this last year, it's just been so great because I've been able to help even more people truly in the comfort of their own home. They don't have to drive super far to see me. They don't have to risk their health or their safety yet. They're able to get like pick my brain and get all of my knowledge specifically for exercise and mobility and these day-to-day movements to be easier for them that's amazing it's, it's amazing I think there to to kind of hear that you were like I say working towards that and um I guess mentally prepared for for this journey um is really interesting so I guess moving forward you, you've now got that um you've had the experience of the last year you've got the kind of the success of um I'm assuming that attendance rate has has gone up quite a lot now um so kind of seeing that work how do you have in mind kind of how that's going to continue um as hopefully um we kind of start to see or gradually see the return of of face-to-face for certain services and um kind of how does virtual fit in with that in your mind in the future yeah so virtual is I think it should always be a component for someone who is working towards really any goal, whether it's physical, like strength or balance or mental or emotional, because when the world does open up and people are going back to physiotherapy, that's amazing. In-person PT is great, but insurances often will only cover a certain number of sessions, at at least here in the U.S., Mm. and Sometimes it's only six or eight sessions for the entire year. Other times it might be 20 sessions, but there's always a time, typically when you have MS, that you're cut off. And so I think during that time, it's going to be so important that they don't stop exercising, that they continue with their program. And that's where I think a virtual program can really come into play because not only is it the exercises and and movements that you can do as a home exercise program, but it's also that support and that accountability. And what I found when I was purely working in a clinic is I would work with someone, they would do great, they'd improve their strength, and then they'd had to have to be discharged because of their insurance. And then they'd come back maybe three months later and they had lost everything that they gained because they didn't have that support. They didn't continue doing their exercises. So I'm really hoping that people will be able to use virtual resources in order to continue their improvement, even during the days where maybe they can't make it to physio or they were cut off from their insurance company. Yeah, that's, it's, it's really quite thought provoking, I think, because, again, I'm not sure about the MS side, but I know for a lot of our um, kind of mental health services, if people access those through our NHS service, often they're given, I think it's usually six, possibly eight sessions 
um and the same sometimes there are occasions where where it's it's more than that but often it's kind of six or eight and i think that idea of kind of how you put it of if you've received that initial um kind of adjustment that information that guidance to kind of get you started on a journey but actually sometimes i would say most of the time people need more than that um and that idea of maybe that's how kind of virtual can fit in for many people of it's less of a a a long-term commitment in terms of maybe the time or the money it takes you to travel to see someone having that i would say slightly more accessible um route into a continued service or support i think is a a really relevant one kind of across the board for for different types of therapy and other services as well Mm -hmm. yeah and even though it's a program for MS. I have been gaining clients who maybe they don't have MS, but they have Parkinson's or some, I have the hemipath, hemiparesis paresthesia. Oh my gosh, I can't say those words today. Um, so just these different diagnoses, as well as just some of my clients' mothers that are getting a little bit older and wanted to work on balance. So while it started for MS, it's becoming this online program for really anyone looking to improve their strength through functional exercise, meaning if you have difficulty walking or breaking all of the different steps of walking down into about seven different exercises, and that's what you focus on. Or if it's stair climbing, you break down stair climbing into as many exercises and movements as possible, and that's what you practice. So it's a very functional approach, and I've already seen people Uh, both leaving the program temporarily. They'll email me saying, hey, Dr. Gretchen, I'm leaving because I'm going back to in-person PT, but I'll be back soon. And then I have other clients who are saying, Dr. Gretchen, I'm ready to come back. My PT just ended. So it's really cool to already start seeing that transition of people coming and going as they take a break from either me or in-person PT and swap just so they keep that continued source of motivation and support and expertise yeah it's, it's that long longer journey I guess in terms of uh, a, a longer journey I think for people as well isn't it seeing that 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 support is accessible you're accessible um through those services and I like that idea of yeah it might it might be that you want a break or a change from in person or from a particular person that's supporting you um I think I've had a number of conversations where we've talked about um the importance of kind of trying different counsellors or therapists and finding the right one but also having that idea of like you say of maybe there's someone that's really supporting you but at certain times you just need a change or a shift or um you need to kind of be infused by by someone else and I think that's where in my mind that kind of virtual option really sits of keeping that support in those services much more accessible absolutely and I think in this world especially within the last year there's been that theme of accessibility Mm. whether it's financial accessibility physical accessibility but giving everyone access to resources that they can use not just based on if you can get there or Mm. if you have a great insurance so 
being able to make things more accessible, specifically things that can improve quality of life and mindset and motivation and independence is so, so important. Yeah, I think so. I think it's it's one of those things. I think if you're kind of involved in delivering a service, you're used to thinking about how can I reach more people? You were doing that already when you were talking about kind of the attendance rates. And I think it's good to hear more people speaking about kind of keeping things accessible um, and giving consideration to people with different needs because it it shows that that sort of mind process that sort of thought process that's the one that thought process is starting to happen in people that actually that we do live in communities and societies where people do have different needs and different capabilities at different times and it sort of shows a greater reflection of that I think as well as just going oh I'd rather be able to click a button and be there than drive there it's like well actually some people can't drive there some people can't leave home some people have lower mobility I think it's really important that 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 accessibility conversation starts to prompt those thought processes with people. Mm -hmm. And going a step further, for whatever reason, if they can't drive, then that is going to either require a transportation service, which costs money, and you have to go on their schedule. Oftentimes, you can't just say, pick me up at this time. So a lot of my clients would be in their transportation service for two hours before their session, just because that's when it could pick them up. Or it's going to take a family member who might have to take time off of work to bring you to your appointment, stay, and then bring you home. So I think the accessibility for one person, just being able to get to the session, even if it is virtually, saves so much time and and other resources from other people. I think so. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that opening I, don't, I guess it comes back to the thing we were talking about at the beginning of, of that awareness and that education until you've until you're in that situation until you experience it yourself or you're supporting someone else that is is experiencing that it's really hard to imagine what that would be like um and to think of it as a it's not just about getting to that um therapy session it's about thinking okay everything I've got to think about in this way like going to the shop I need to think about in this way going to see a friend I need to think about in this way so it 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 has a huge impact and I think um we're starting to see that happen I think might be being a little bit optimistic but I think we're starting to see that happen I agree Uh, (laughs) we've we've kind of touched on a few on a few different topics um uh and I think before we kind of start to wrap up I think it'd be really interesting just to hear um we've we've mentioned ms a few times and it's definitely something that i've not had many guests come on and and speak about um if someone's listening to this and wanted to access like um a bit more information or education so not necessarily support at the moment but just become a bit more aware or educated around ms are there certain um places or resources that would be kind of good to signpost to Absolutely. So just for the ones that I personally have, I am on YouTube as Dr. Gretchen Hawley, as well as Facebook and Instagram as Dr. Gretchen. And on those pages, I post a bunch of different exercises or symptom management strategy just to show how diverse MS is Mm -hmm. and all of the simple things that you can do at home. Most of the videos are five minutes or less. And 
you, you'd be surprised at how much information you can gather in that, that short amount of time. So um, those are some resources that I have. And then my website is missinglink.com, but it's spelled M-S-I-N-G link. That is my online MS wellness program. Awesome. So that's a, a good place for people to go to maybe get some insights into MS, some of the different types of physical therapy we've mentioned. And I think that when you're sort of saying those five minute videos, I think that's a really good insight for people. And if they want to find out a bit more about some of those um, kind of services and support that's available through the website and places like that. Yep, I'm a, I'm a personally a very visual person, so I learn the best about things by watching. And so that's why most of my resources at this time are video based, even if I'm just explaining something, it's via mm. video mm. versus typing articles, which there are some of those too. But I think if you can actually see it being done or performed, it just makes it feel more tangible. So you'll, from those videos, you'll be able to learn a lot about MS. And even if you don't have MS, just a lot about how our brain works when we're exercising and how to get it to work for you to improve your strength and balance and mobility. Awesome. Thank you so much for, for coming on and for sharing some insights and hopefully um, raising some awareness, educating us a little bit around MS and around physical therapy and a few of the other things we've kind of discussed in between. But thank you so much for coming on and sharing those insights. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so mm -hmm. they can't appreciate Yeah, It's difficult dealing with our minds. And the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. And I think people realize how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it.